0: Continuing on with Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we're talking about the nine elements of the Acts 2 church, and we talked about the first five of those last week, and we ended with number five, which was the fear of the Lord. Once you turn over to Acts chapter 2, and uh, we'll just read together verses 42 through 47, and then we'll pick up where we left off. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word is truth, that your word is eternal, that, Lord, you declared this very thing, that heaven and earth may pass away, but your word, your word will never, ever pass away. God, we value your word, and we look to it, and we ask that the Holy Spirit today would open our eyes and open our minds, would bring illumination and revelation of this word of truth, Lord, to set us free, to make us free indeed. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Acts 2.42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all believed who were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And on your message guide this week, the last four on your front page there are left blank. And number six there is commonality. It says in verse 44, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They shared all things together. There was a commonality, or we could use this word, a community. Amen? So there was a growing community that was expressed, that was manifest, that was seen in the church. Number seven is unity. Unity. And it says here in the next verse, in verse 46, it says, So continuing daily with one accord. They were one voice. And we're going to talk specifically about each of these four in just a moment. So there was a growing voice. Not many voices, but one voice. Number eight is praise. Verse 47 says, praising God. They praised together. They shared all things together. They were one voice. They praised together. And so out of their praise, there was a growing expression of who God is. This is what was being declared. And the last blank there is growth. Praising God, having favor with all the people in the Lord added to, didn't subtract from, he added to the church daily. So there was growth or transformation. Now we're going to talk specifically about these things, and and I put a slash there because today we, we, we make the mistake of equating growth with bigger means growth. Well, it does with a lot of things, but in the church it's not always indicative of the growth that God is desiring. And so what God wants is transformation. If there is transformation, there will be growth. Not just numerically or physically, but there will be growth in every area. So we're going to talk about that. They grew together. There was a growing transformation. All right, let's go up to verse 44 and let's look at community. Community. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common. In, in a, a couple of chapters over in the book of Acts, in Acts 4.32, we see a similar account. It's a continuing account of what was taking place in the church. And in Acts 4.32, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. So there was a sharing together of all things, in all things. There was this growing community. And when we talk about this, it's, it's not just they were all together in one place. When we talk about community, we have to think, as the body of Christ, what is the greatest thing that we have in common? Well, the greatest thing that we have in common is the body of Christ, the thing that brings us all together, the thing that brings us into this community in spite of our differences. Now, would you guys agree that we have differences? I mean, we look around today and see all kinds of differences that exist. I mean, some have darker skin than others. Some have more hair than others. Some of us don't have any hair. Some of us are male, some of us are female. Some of us wear certain clothing, some of us don't wear certain clothing. Some of us are longhorns, the most fortunate ones are, and some of us are Aggies. There might even be some Sooners in the house today. I don't know. If, if you are, I'll pray for you. But huh, actually, maybe y'all should pray for us. No, anyway. But there are, there are things that are different about us. But we don't let our differences divide us because there is something that transcends our differences. There's something that brings us into a commonality, that brings us into community. And that chief thing is really not a thing. It's a person. His name is Christ. It's Christ Jesus. So in common means not set apart. The word holy or to be consecrated means to be set apart. This word common is the, the exact opposite of what holy means. It doesn't mean common in the sense that it's, it's unclean. It means that it's, it's, it's for everybody. We had all things in common. So in common means not set apart exclusively for one to the exclusion of another. Well, this is mine. It's not yours. And you can't have it. Well, that's not having all things in common. That's being exclusive. We live in a culture today that, that really enforces the idea of exclusiveness. It, it, you know, in Spanish, I don't know very much Spanish, but I know this, mi casa es su casa. My house is your house. And you guys know, if you've been to my house, that's kind of pretty much the way it is. You know, my house is everybody's house. You know, people come and go all the time. And, and, and that's good. I, that's the way we live. And, and, and that's fine. But this is what the Scripture is talking about. This is how the church lived. They weren't communist. okay? We're not going to create a political doctrine out of this. But they understood that they were one in Christ. And they had all things in common in spite of their differences. In spite of the things that could have divided them, they didn't allow those things to divide them. They had all things in common Community is a unified body of individuals, a group of people with a common characteristic or interest, living together within a larger society. That's the definition of a community. And so how do we build community? We build community through fellowship. Fellowship is how we build community. Hebrews 10:25. Let me just read that to you. We talked about this today in, in, uh, in our study of Colossians this morning. Kathy leads a study every Sunday morning, and right now we're going through the book of Colossians. And it, it's really good. Because as we study Colossians, we see that it's affirming the doctrine of the Scripture, the teaching. Remember that word doctrine is not a dirty word. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in the apostles' Teaching or instruction, that's what that word doctrine means. And so the doctrine of Scripture is affirmed throughout Scripture. We don't just pull one Scripture out and say, okay, this is the way it is. We, we look at the whole council and see there's a principle here. And the principle is we are a body, we are a community, and we build community through fellowship. And so Hebrews 10.25 says, "...not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some." But exhorting one another, encouraging one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Exhorting, encouraging, building up one another. So people, people say, well, you know, I don't have to go to church to worship God. I can worship, as a matter of fact, I can worship God better if I'm not in church because then I don't have all the people to distract me. Well, that's true. You don't have to be in church to worship God. But, but there you go, fundamentally, That very statement, I don't have to be in church to worship God. We have a fundamental misunderstanding of what church is, right? Church isn't a place anyways. We are the church. Church is the called-out assembly, the called-out ones. We are the called-out ones. And we come together, we assemble together because we have a very specific purpose when we come together. And it's not just to worship God. See, you don't come here and worship God individually, and and that's your worship, we're called to come together as the body. And and the, the unified expression of the body, the community of believers, that is the expression of worship that's being lifted up to the Lord. That is the expression of worship that the world is supposed to be seeing. It's not me doing my own thing. And worshiping God, it is because, see, if you can stay at home and worship God by yourself, but you can't exhort one another, you can't encourage one another by yourself, you can't build up one another by yourself. And so we see that the very command to assemble together is not about me as an individual, it's about us as a body, it's about us as a community. We're commanded to assemble for the sake of the community, for the sake of the body, for the building up. And if the body is built up, if the body is encouraged, then guess what? The expression of Christ is is built up. The expression of Christ is magnified. He is glorified. He is made known in in truth and in reality of, of who he is. This is the importance of community. This is why they had all things in common. They weren't a bunch of leftists, Marxists, communists trying to make a political statement. They were the people of God, the family of God, the community of faith, the community of believers who had come together and were expressing the unity that they had in Christ. And so fellowship is where the biblical word communion comes from, koinonia. The very word fellowship speaks of communion, which speaks of community, which speaks of Us having all things in common. Do you see the interrelatedness there? So this word fellowship is where our word communion comes from. It means sharing or having in common. It means partnership or company, a companionship or a company, a community of interest, of activity, of experience that is like-minded. In this case, we're talking about faith. It's a community of faith. Our faith in Christ is what unites us, is what we have in common that transcends all of our differences. Amen? So they were a community. Community is a choice. And community is not based on how much we have, but it's based on how much we are willing to share with one another. You don't have to have a lot to be in community with one another. You just have to be willing to share. The level of community that you live in, that you exist in, is is dependent on how, at what level, you are willing to share with one another. To share what? To share your, your time. To share your talents. To share your treasure. Or to share your life. The totality of your life. You have talents, and you have things that others don't have. When we put our talents and our time and our treasure, when we put our lives together, we become a community that functions together. And we bring glory and honor to our head, Jesus Christ. Amen? The next is unity. They were one voice together, a growing voice. The Scripture specifically says this, it says, they continue daily with one accord. And this word there, one accord, this word cord it's, it's where we get our, our word vocal cord from. So remember we said this last week, how is it that I am able to speak? Well, the, the breath that's coming from my lungs is rushing over my vocal cords and it is making a sound, a distinct a distinguishing sound, a sound that's that's distinct. That's how you can understand me. And so this word, one accord, this phrase here, literally the word picture here is a passionate breath that's issuing forth. And this is why I say unity is not just about us being in one building together. We can all be in one building together, and that doesn't mean we're in Unity. We can all be in one building together. That didn't even make us a community. Unity is much more than geography. It's much more than that. And so in one accord is is speaking of the very voice with which we speak. So speaking with one voice as one man, not divided, Remember, after the flood, Nimrod built a tower and said, we'll never be destroyed by a flood again. As a matter of fact, we're going to build this thing so high, we're going to ascend to the heavens and we will take God down and he's not going to do this to us again. You can read the historian Josephus and this was Nimrod's attitude. And God said, as he looked at man building that tower, he said, you know, man is something else. They are unified. They put their heads together, their minds together, and man, when he puts his head together, and they are unified, they can do just about anything. And so what did God do? He came down and he separated them. He confused their language, and it just sounded like a bunch of babble. They were just babbling. They, They couldn't communicate together any longer. And we see in the book of Acts, 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, We see after that day, when God poured his spirit out, he reversed the curse there that was at Babel, and he gave us once again one voice. He gave us once again one language. What is that language? Uh, And I'm not, listen, don't, I want you to think beyond. I'm not talking about speaking in tongues here. I'm talking about the truth of what God did. God took Jew and Gentile, Parthian, Mede, Scythian, barbarian, slave, free, male, female, Jew, Greek. He took all those things that divided us and scattered us, and He brought us into one and made us one in Christ, and now has given us one voice in His Son. I'm not saying we all speak the same language. None of us speak Spanish anymore, or German anymore, or Gaelic anymore. Or No, that's not what I'm saying. But in spite of the different languages we may speak, we can now speak with what? With one voice. How? In the Son of God. In the Son of God. He has brought unity to the man. What man? The one new man he speaks of in Ephesians 2. That man, Christ Jesus, and his body... And so unity is something that we are to continue in. They continued daily in one accord. Unity is more than the content of what we say or the place from where we speak. Unity is the heart and the mind from which we speak. It's more than than just my words. It's my heart and it's my mind. Look at Acts 4.32. Acts 4.32 says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of what? Of one heart and one soul. That word soul there is the Greek word suke. And, and that is the seat of the mind, the will, and the emotions. They were of one heart, one spirit. They were of of one soul. In their mind, in their will, and in their motions, they were one. They didn't have opposing wills. They had one will. They didn't have minds that opposed one another. They had one mind. And that mind was one where? In Christ. Their will was one where? In the will of God. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I have come not to do my will, but the will of my Father. I don't do anything unless I see my Father do it. And I don't say anything unless I hear my Father say it. Boy, that's, that's pretty powerful. You think Jesus was exaggerating? I mean, come on, seriously, do you think Jesus was exaggerating? I don't think he was. Am I saying that that's, that's the way we're supposed to live? Well, yes, we are. Am I saying that, that that we do that? No, we don't. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Aren't you glad there there is one who still is submitted to his Father? Aren't you glad there was one who walked this earth and he was totally and completely submitted to the will of his Father? He didn't come to do his own will. And even before he went to the cross, before he was scourged, before he was beat so ruthlessly that he didn't even look like a human being, he said these very words, Father, nevertheless, not your will, but my, not my will, but your will be done. Your will Father, not mine, let your will be done. What did Jesus tell us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, holy be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Church, how can we do his will on earth even as it is in heaven? How are we going to do that when we're so different When we're divided by so many things, when there there are so many things that come up that just seem to to divide us and lead us into different directions, how are we going to do that? We're going to do it as we come under one head. We're going to do it as we live in the community of faith under the headship of Jesus Christ. We're going to do it as we become one man with one voice because we have one heart and we have one mind, and that is the heart of God and that is the mind of God, to do The will of God. If our hearts and our minds are united, then guess what? Our voice will be one. When you leave here, you'll all say the same things. If your heart and your mind is one. If our hearts and our minds are one, if they're united, then our purpose, our purpose will be one. You'll leave here and you'll have one purpose. It's not to promote yourself. It's not to make a name for yourself. It's not to satisfy yourself, but it will be the purpose that is found in him. It's to promote him. It's to satisfy him and to be satisfied in him. To do his will, not our own. To to live for his purpose and not our own. But in doing that, here's the good news. Here's... Here's the encouragement, church. In doing that, we find our purpose. In in living for His pleasure, we find our pleasure. In living for His will, we find our will. It is His will that we live in His will. We'll find everything we're looking for if we will just come to a place where we will have one voice one heart one mind the greatest obstacle to unity is often self let the i die turn to your neighbor and say let the i die just let the i die well what do i mean by that galatians 2:20 let's let's turn there galatians 2:20 This is one of those scriptures that we quote all the time, but I'm telling you what, it is is one of the most powerful scriptures if we will get the revelation of what Paul is saying here. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Where is the I? The I died. See, if we'll let the I die, we won't have a problem being in unity. If we'll let the I die, then we will speak with one voice. We'll live with one purpose. We'll have one heart. We'll have one mind. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, And gave himself for me. The only reason I am living is because it's no longer I, but it's Christ in me. He is my life, He is what animates me, He is what causes me to have life now. Our hearts are to be united as one in Christ. The price of unity is small for us compared to what it cost Christ at the cross. And I think about that. We think about what it takes for us to live unified. You read the New Testament. When you guys read the Bible, listen, let me really encourage you. Don't read the Bible from 21st century Central Texas mentality. Don't read the Bible and try to figure out how you can make this Bible fit into your life and say what you want it to say to justify the way you want to live. That's not why God gave us the Scripture. If we'll read the Bible in its proper context and let the Bible and let the Scripture, you hear me say this all the time, let the Scripture interpret the Scripture, let the Scripture reinforce the Scripture, and we fit into the Scripture, we fit into what this book is declaring, not try to make this book conform to me, but I conform to this. This is the Word of God. I am to conform to the Word. If we, As we read the Scriptures and we read, you know, Solomon said this in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, there is nothing new under the sun. You guys know that's true. I mean, we're all looking for the newest and the best and the greatest and the latest. But there there is not. There's nothing new under the sun. Even Christ. The scripture says he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. When Jesus came to this earth, when that baby was born in Bethlehem, it wasn't because God says, you know, I'm just really... Wanting to do something different after 4,000 years of humanity. I think I'll just, I think I, I, I'm just gonna have a crazy thought and let's try this. That's not what happened. God's plan has been God's plan before time began. God's purpose is what he purposed before this world was ever spoken into existence. And the things that we deal with day in and day out in our lives are not new because we live in the 21st century. We're living with the same issues that the people that this Scripture was written to directly. Remember, this book was not written to you. It was written for you. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he was really writing to a church in Corinth. When he wrote to the Colossians, he was writing to a group of believers who lived in the city. They were called Colossians like people in Austin are called Austinites or we're called Taylorites. It'd be like the letter to the Taylorites. These were real people dealing with real issues. The same issues that we deal with today. And he said to them, you guys are many, but you're one. Don't let your differences divide you. Hey, you Jews! Don't look down on that guy because he's a Gentile. Hey, man, stop abusing her because she's a woman and you think you've got some right to hold her under your thumb or to hold her down under your foot. Hey, masters, start treating your slaves the way you would want to be treated if you were a slave. Hey, slaves... Show the respect to your masters that you want your masters to show to you. Stop looking at all the differences you have and begin to unite under the one thing that transcends all of those differences, which is Christ. Let the I die. Yeah, but you don't know what he did to me. I, uh, 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 stop right there. Let the I die. Yeah, but, but, uh, 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 stop right there. See, if the eye is dead, then, 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 then there's nothing there. What am I going to say? I can't say anything because I have been crucified with Christ. Yeah, but, but you're saying that then, then that's justifying. No, that's not justifying anything. He will, she will, they will answer to God one day. The scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not yours. It's mine. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. It's not your place to repay. It's not your place to point out the differences, to divide over the differences, and to to keep creating more differences. And that thing just festers to the point where there is no more community, there is no more unity. And when that happens, there is no expression of Christ. And that's not a good thing. And if we would begin to understand if we would begin to pray and realize the price that Jesus paid on that cross so that we could be called the community of believers, so that we could speak with one voice, so that we could live with one heart and one mind, with one purpose, and see one will be done, not mine, not yours, there's about six plus billion wills that could be done on planet earth right now. But there's only one that we're to pray for, and that's his will. Let it be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Your will be done, God. And so the price of unity is small for us compared to what it cost Christ on the, church, on the cross. He gave his very life so that we could come together under his headship. So that we could be united in his life. That's what the world needs to see, church. That's what the world really is looking for. You guys listen and watch the news and and listen beyond the headlines. Listen to the cry that's, that's coming up. Listen to what people are really looking for. If you you begin to hear what people are really looking for, what they're really hungry for, you'll realize that the answer is not the United Nations, it's not Barack Obama, it's not Democrats or Republicans or Tea Party. Listen, the answer is Jesus Christ. That's the answer. And we as the church have the answer. And we're, we're sitting here trying to give them Republican or Tea Party or Democrat or, or, or what. No, forget that. Let's give them Jesus. But how are we going to give them Jesus if they can't see Jesus? You know, a parent who's sitting there ruthlessly abusing their child, and the whole time they're doing it, they're saying, You know I love you. You know I love you. That husband who's abusing his wife, and the whole time he's abusing her, he's saying, you know I love you. You know I love you. See, it's got to be more than our words. It's, It's not about what we say. It's about our heart. It's about our mind. And it's not even about our heart and our mind. It's about his heart and his mind. Amen? So then it says, they continued daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity or singleness of heart. Verse 47, praising God. Praising God. Now this is an interesting word here. They praised God together. And out of their praise, there was a growing expression that was... Manifesting, being seen throughout Jerusalem. And ultimately, how did we come to be in Taylor, Texas today talking about the very things that were recorded in the book of Acts by Dr. Luke some 2,000 years ago? Because what they began, these elements that began in the Acts 2 church, because those things continued. And they continued for a very specific reason. Praise is one of the hallmarks of the community of believers. Now, we got to get out of the idea that praise is music that's over so many beats per minute and worship is is music that's under so many beats per minute. You, You guys tracking with me? Praise can involve music, but it necessarily has nothing to do with music. You guys tracking with me? This word praise, they, praising God. It's an interesting word. Praise comes from a word that means a story. That's what this word means. It comes from a root that means a story. History. You know what it is? It's his story. It's the truth. It's his story. He wrote it. He wrote it all. We just think we wrote it. We try to rewrite it. We can't rewrite it because it's his story. Oh, you can change the textbooks all you want, but you're not going to rewrite it because it's his story. And in the end, his story will be known. The truth will prevail over every lie. That's why the scripture says, let let every man, let God be true and let every man be a liar. Praise comes from this word that means a story. Praising God is declaring God's story. In just real simple terms, that's that's really what praise is to me. It's declaring who he is. And in declaring who he is, we're going to declare what he's done. Praise is born out of a heart of gratitude. Acts 3 8, when when Peter and John were going into the temple, and there was the blind man by the, or the lame man by the gate, beautiful. And he says, Got any silver or gold for me? Peter looked at him. He said, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And that dude got up, and Acts 3:8 says, he went through the temple. Jumping and leaping and praising God. (laughs) Declaring who God was. God was the one who healed him. God was the one who made him whole. And I believe in more than just a physical way, that man was transformed at his very core that day. Praise is not conditional. Listen, church, this is so... Important. You may think it's conditional. You may treat it as though it's conditional. You may use it and exercise it and participate in it on a conditional basis. But I'm going to tell you right now, praise is not conditional. Our circumstances do not change who he is. And our circumstances do not change his story. He is The author of the story. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand. Here's the script God wrote it for you beforehand, he commands your destiny. Now, we we like to wrestle with that. And that could take us into all kinds of theological discussions that, that really we don't even need to get into. Because here is the truth, whether you believe it or not God existed before any of us did, we exist because of His grace. He wrote our story before. He threw the sun, the moon, and the stars into place. How do we know that? Because the scripture says that he prepared good works for us to walk in beforehand. Where? In Jesus Christ. Well, who is Jesus Christ? He is the Lamb of God that was slain before. Before what? Before the foundations of the world. That blows my I'll just be honest with you. That just blows my mind. That makes my mind go tilt. But you know, it doesn't really matter whether I can fully comprehend and wrap my brain around that. Do you know, you're, you're not supposed to wrap your brain around it. So get that out of your head. Because there are some things that God will let you wrap your brain around. I mean, he will give you understanding and revelation of some things, but there are some things that that you're not going to wrap your brain around. God says, don't even try. Your brain's not meant to wrap around it. It's too big for your brain to wrap around. But do I believe that he is the author and the finisher of our faith? Do you believe that, church? That's what the Scripture declares. So it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It doesn't change his story. It doesn't change anything, whether you believe it or not. His story is going to go on. Do you understand that? But somewhere in the counsels of God, and by His grace, and in His great benevolence, He has called us to be a part of His story. He has made us a part of his story. He has written us into the story. Are you a willing participant? Are you embracing his story? Are you? Are you making known his story? Are you declaring his story? Because praise should be the growing expression of the community of believers. The world should be hearing more and more and more and more. What? His story. His praise. His story. Who He is. What He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do. How do we know what he will do? Because the scripture reveals it to us. And he knows the end of the story. And he knows when the end will come. We don't. So what do we do until that time? We continue to make known his story. We continue To express his praise. Praise is his story. We praise God for who he is, for what he has done, is doing, will do. As his story unfolds. You realize that? His story is unfolding moment by moment. The very fact that you're sitting here today is part of his story. There are people all over the world... some in buildings like this, some in places far different. But they're people that he has called and they're part of his story. And even those that have not been called, the king of Babylon was part of his story. Pharaoh was part of his story even though Pharaoh had a hard heart. Pharaoh was part of the story. And God says, I wrote you into my story because I'm going to use you to demonstrate my power and my mercy. Remember last week we talked about the fear of the Lord and that what is missing from the church? We got the church praying for more miracles. I said, stop praying for miracles. Begin to pray that the fear of the Lord would return to the church. just the very fact that we are part of his story. Now, how come God didn't write me in as a pharaoh? I don't know. It ain't because I'm all that. It's not because I'm a good guy and he was a bad guy. I can't tell you why God didn't make me pharaoh. He just made me little old Jeff Ripple. I don't know why he did, but he did. But I'm going to tell you what. The more I begin to see and comprehend what God has given me in Jesus Christ, the more I stand in awe of him. The more I fear and tremble, not in a bad way, not because I'm afraid he's going to punish me or abuse me, but I realize, I just ask, I ask myself this question sometimes. I don't know, maybe I'm just weird. But I do, I ask myself this why, why, God, did you, why, why, Lord, did you allow me to be me? Why did you put me here? I mean, you know, when I go to Mexico and I see people living in the dump and I see them living in squalor and, 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 and we're reading, somebody was reading an article about the, the guy that went to India, the CNN reporter, he's getting off the boat puking because they're at the river and there's so much human feces and waste and the stench was just so overwhelming. The reporter couldn't do anything except puke. He said, my God, how do people live in this? I mean, church, why weren't we born there? Why aren't we living in that right now? you have an answer for that? You don't, except by his grace. We're here and not there. Was it anything that I did that caused me to be here and not there? Absolutely not. Except the grace of God. I don't know about you, but that, that makes me fear and tremble to realize what God has given. And how can we be so flippant about what God has given us? How can we just say, ah, oh, well, you know, que sera, sera, And we just continue on as if it's not about his will, as if it's all about me. As if God's here to serve my purposes, he wrote this Bible so I could be more prosperous and happy and successful. I mean, he's at my beck and call. He's my 911 in heaven. Come on, church. Let's get real. Let's wake up and realize who we are compared to who he is. And that we are here by his grace. John says, in 1 John 5, he says, little children, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to go through life wondering whether you're going to make it to heaven one day. You don't have to. I mean, even that in and of itself, that God would reveal himself in such a way to us that we can know that we are his children, that we have eternal life. That is an amazing thing. In the face of our failings and our imperfection and the frailty of our sinful flesh, that how can I, this man living and dwelling in sinful flesh, how can I know that I have eternal life? Because God has revealed the way in his word and he told me, he wants me to know. That's his grace, church. That's his grace. How can we live life and be so... How can we just take that for granted? We cannot. Well, we can, but we shouldn't, right? We shouldn't. This is why they were praising God they understood what had transpired on that cross. They lived under the bondage of that law, under the heavy burden of that law that that was meant to reveal their sinfulness, that was never meant to become some system of salvation for them. And when they received the revelation by the Spirit of God of what Christ did on the cross when He finished His work there, the redemption that he purchased for them, the life that he gave to them by his grace, I'm telling you what, they couldn't keep their mouths shut. They began to tell his story. They were far different than we are today in many ways. But it doesn't have to be so. We live in a different culture, a different time, wear different clothes. Our lives are totally different than theirs, but our God is the same. The gospel is the same. The message is the same. What he has done for them is the same that he has done for us. We have the same story. We should be speaking with their voice, with their mind, because their voice was the voice of God. Their mind was the mind of God. Their heart was the heart of God. That's what we should be speaking with. We're part of the story. It's still unfolding. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And we see that there was a growth, an increase that was taking place. A growing transformation. Romans 12.2. Paul says, Brothers, In verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your reasonable act of worship, no longer being conformed to this world, but being, being, a present tense continuous action, being transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good an acceptable and perfect will of God. Transformation. Transformation is what God is looking for. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, turn over there. Paul says this, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. We use this example very often. If you're going to go out, how many of you guys have been to the Oasis restaurant? They call it the sunset capital of Texas. I don't know if it really is, but that's what they call it. But no doubt, doubt you know, it used to have a 22-level deck, and then lightning struck it and it burnt down. I haven't been there since lightning burned it down, but I'm sure it's still this multi-level deck, 400 feet over Lake Travis. And you just sit there, and you can watch the sun go down over Lake Travis. It's, 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 it's beautiful. Now, if we're all sitting at the oasis, and I said to you, hey, let's go to the oasis and listen to the sun go down, what would you say? And, and we're sitting there, I said, do you hear the sun setting? Can you hear a sunset? Can you? Have you? Who has ever heard a sunset? Anybody? Just checking. Okay. How many of you have seen a sunset? You can't hear the sunset, can you? So if we're trying to discern a sunset with our ears, we're trying to discern it with the wrong faculty, right? See, this is the trouble men get into when they're trying to understand spiritual things. Well, I tried reading the Bible, but I can't understand it. I can't make sense of it. Well, it's because you're trying to hear a sunset. You're using the wrong faculty to try to understand something that can't be understood. Your mind, unredeemed, can't understand spiritual. Says, what's he say? He says, the things of the Spirit, the natural man does not receive these things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. It is by the Spirit that we discern these things. And once... Once they are discerned and assimilated by our spirit, by the spirit of God, then can your mind begin to comprehend? Yes. God gave you a mind to use it. But you can't first use your natural mind to try to understand spiritual things any more than you can hear a sunset. You Can't do it. Now you can watch a sunset and you can hear all kinds of things and it might make the experience more wonderful to you. But... But when we talk about these things, when we talk about growth and transformation, see, growth is the mark of, of transformation by who? By the Holy Spirit. Well, what kind of growth? Growth should occur numerically, yes, but, but that doesn't always necessarily mean that there's real transformation taking place. Right? Right? Growth produces maturity. What, what is it that we're called to be? Matthew 28, 19, what did Jesus tell us to go do? Go and make members of our church. Go into all the nations and get as many members to sign up on your membership roles as possible. No, he said, go into all the nations and make disciples. We're called disciples. Now, listen, we are members of his body, but do you understand that that the implication is that if I am a member of his body, I am a a disciple, because that's ultimately what he wants me to be. You are my disciples indeed if my word abides in you. If my word abides in you, Jesus said, you are my disciples indeed. You can sit in church week in and week out, but if... His word is not abiding in you, then you can call yourself a member of the church, but that does not necessarily mean you are a disciple of Christ. Remember, I'm talking to all of you as though you are members of the church, but I don't know for sure how many of you are truly disciples of Christ. There is a difference. We're called to make disciples. We're called to be disciples. So when we talk about growth, we need to understand the growth that God wants in His body. Growth produces maturity. Maturity produces fruit. Fruit enables reproduction, and through reproduction there is increase. If we're not a growing community of believers with an increasing expression of His story making it known out there, then something's there's a disconnect somewhere. Because this is part of growth and transformation. God didn't give us a light to keep it to ourselves. He wants you to let it shine. He didn't make you salt so you can just stay in the shaker. He wants you to go into the earth and allow... His transformation to be affected through you as well as in you. Fruitful maturity is the product of spiritual transformation. So when when we use the word growth, we're not just talking about any kind of growth. We're talking about spiritual transformation. Growing up, Ephesians 4.13, let's go there and this is our last scripture. Ephesians 4.13. Paul says to the Ephesians, he's talking about being equipped for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or a complete man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look at the structure of that wording there. It's not by accident. Look what Paul is communicating. He is communicating the heart of God here. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up. Look. That you should no longer be children, but that you may grow up. You go from childhood to maturity, to manhood, womanhood, not being chauvinistic, ladies, okay? That you may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. The point of growth and the point of transformation is that we would grow up into all things. Where? Into Him. That we would grow up and become the full measure and full expression of the man, not the child, the man, Jesus Christ. Amen? Transformation and growth come from the Lord. You don't make yourself grow, you can facilitate that growth. Kids, eat your peas and carrots because it'll help you grow up strong and healthy. Well, that's true. But you're going to grow up strong and healthy because God has put it within you to grow. Because why? Because his life is there. And if we love him because he first loved us, why would we not want to grow up into him, into all things? Why would I not find my pleasure in coming from childhood to maturity and expressing the full measure and the full stature of Christ? Why would not I find my pleasure in that? I should. If he's my pleasure, then I should find my pleasure in that. So transformation and growth come from the Lord. They are manifest in us as we walk by faith, not by sight, but as we walk by faith in the Spirit. Oh, I lied to you. I have one more scripture there, don't I? That's a short one. Colossians 2.6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Growth and transformation come from the Lord, but do we have a responsibility? Absolutely. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Walk in Him. Walk in His instruction. Walk in His fellowship. Walk in His communion. Walk in prayer and in intercession. Walk in the fear of the Lord and the wisdom of the Lord that comes from that. Walk in community with your fellow brothers and sisters. Walk in unity. Speak with one voice from one heart and one mind. Walk in praise, declaring and expressing His story. And if we do that, church, I promise there will be true growth and true transformation that will take place not only in your life but in the corporate body and it will be known and manifest in the world and God will receive glory. Amen? Praise God. Well, stand to your feet.